What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Wow. Uh, I mean, I had myself a movie experience this week. I was at the red carpet premiere for Tick, Tick, Boom, the Lin-Manuel Miranda movie uh, that is going to be coming out in theaters this weekend and on Netflix next Friday. Uh, So I made the executive decision to cover it with a full review in next Friday's newsletter. So look out for that one. It was honestly great. I mean, it was probably one of my favorite movies of the year and uh, just an awesome experience uh, at the premiere and then the after party, you know, rubbing shoulders with (laughs) Hollywood elites. No, I don't know about that, but uh, we'll be talking about that next week for this week. We had to hit Spencer, which is the much buzz about Oscar entry for Kristen Stewart playing Princess Diana. Uh, We'll be talking about that movie, whether the movie is worth it, whether Stewart is worth the gold statue that seems to be headed her way. And we'll also be talking about The Harder They Fall, which is uh, Netflix's new Western. And, you know, Hollywood doesn't make a lot of Westerns anymore. So uh, that one is very interesting. It actually really, really surprised me and surprised my expectations. Plus, In this week's uh, streaming suggestion, one of the best movies I revisited and and found out this movie is one of the best movies of the 21st century. Just an absolute masterpiece. Uh, And if you haven't seen it, and I have a feeling most of you have not seen it, you're going to be able to watch that one on Hulu. So much to talk about in this episode. Thank you guys, as always, so much for listening. Um, You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or contact me through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com to let me know what you thought of these movies, if you watched them, uh, what you think of the newsletter, what I can do better, and what movies you guys have been watching. So what movies I should be watching. I, I got some good recommendations for you or from you guys this week um, that uh, I'm going to be watching for next week. So as always, thank you so much for that. And let's talk about Spencer. One might forget the week after seeing a Wes Anderson movie about magazine journalism in an Edgar Wright noir film, that in fact, most movies are not made specifically for me. I approach Spencer with the clear acknowledgement that I'm not in any way the intended audience for a movie about the emotional reckoning of Princess Diana, and don't wish to invalidate people's passions for the British royal family just because I don't follow their tabloid fodder and have never seen The Crown, The Queen, The Royal Wedding, or really any other content, fictional or otherwise. To me, they're the Kardashians across the pond, and I treat them as such. This is a movie which requires its audience to be previously familiar with the specifics of Diana's story, and preferably to have spent many years reflecting on and analyzing the motives and actions and right and wrong of all stakeholders involved. I checked neither box, but went in with an open mind. Then... I lost all respect for what this movie was trying to do after a simple text card came up before it even started. It said, a fable based on a true tragedy. That sentence says it all. It's an admission that the story about to unfold is not the truth, strictly speaking, which is the thing that would make it powerful. And the substitute of tragedy is editorializing to let us know preemptively that the audience is very clearly excuse me, that the movie is very clearly on Diana's side. The next two hours proved as much. Parsing what the movie got, 
quote, right or wrong is burdensome, and it doesn't correct the feeling that what was shown didn't matter all that much. Anything meant to be revelatory felt like a total construction, often with a remarkable lack of subtlety. I mean, seriously, can it get more on the nose than a persecuted Diana reading a book about Anne Boleyn called The Life and Death of a Martyr throughout the movie? I expected better from accomplished writer and Peaky Blinders showrunner Stephen Knight. This kind of dramatized feminist legacy reclamation, it isn't necessarily new to director Pablo Lorraine, known for his Kennedy biopic Jackie, and it isn't an altogether unworthy goal, but it's hardly fresh considering in the last year alone there's been an entire TV, prestige TV season about her, The Crown Season 4, and a new Broadway musical, Diana the Musical. This oversaturation points to an unceasing interest in Prince's die as a person and a public figure, and to the true reason for this movie's existence, as Oscar bait for lead actress Kristen Stewart. It's working. Stewart is currently the unanimous odds-on favorite to win Best Actress, and now that I've seen the performance, I can pretty confidently say that the enthusiasm here is actually a groundswell of support for Diana herself rather than the acting. The same thing happened with Rami Malek's Freddie Mercury, a truly hollow performance that won him Best Actor behind a celebration of the real life and premature death of Mercury, highlighted by the literal karaoke of his voice and dancing in the movie. Stewart's version of this karaoke is the elaborate and true-to-life outfits that she wears throughout the movie, playing to one of Diana's strengths as a fashion icon. Now, Stewart is a performer I've always respected and enjoyed, despite her tendency to pick or otherwise end up in bad movies. I'd like to think, though I don't know because I haven't seen much real-life news footage, that she captures some essence of what Diana was like, which people who obsess over her are responding to. I hope so, anyway, because it's difficult to see what about this performance should be rewarded aside from the imitation. It's a fairly one-note portrayal, or I suppose two-note if you count an alternating sequence of brooding and pouting. Really, aside from a few heartfelt scenes with her kids, who royal fans will identify as, oh, that's Will, that's Harry. That's pretty much the entire how the entire movie unfolds. It's brooding and pouting, pouting and brooding, puking and crying and brooding and pouting. The affectation comes across as entirely justified, but only within the context of the royal bubble. To the outside world, it's hard, for me anyway, to conjure a ton of sympathy for someone simply because they aren't allowed to wear the hand-picked designer outfit designated for Christmas Day dinner during Christmas Eve tea. Yes, she may drive her own car with no entourage, but she's still driving a Porsche, right? The movie hints at this double standard, and the most effective parts of the movie play to the upstairs-downstairs duality of upper British society. Sean Harris's performance as the head chef is the MVP of the movie for me, and I'd rather have watched a two-hour movie about his crew of culinary artisans working under a sign in the basement that reads, Keep noise to a minimum. They can hear you. For more of that sort of thing, I'm told I need to watch Downton Abbey. Frankly, I suggest you do the same, rather than waste your time with this movie. Unless you're a diehard Diana fan, in which case, please reach out and tell me what I'm not understanding here. Okay, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week's something new 
is The Harder They Fall, which is currently playing on Netflix. Across the wide breadth of American history, which has been thoroughly whitewashed, movies cannot deny their central influence in the homogenizing of the wild, wild west. I didn't even know until the promotional material for this movie that 25 to 30% of cowboys at one point in the late 1800s were African American. This movie truly surpassed any expectations I had for it because it leaned into its blackness in a satisfying way. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a third wave minority movie. We've left behind the cartoonish caricatures of wave one and navigated past the plots which only allow for personal experiences in the second wave to finally allow for a story which wholeheartedly embraces its diversity without needing to make a statement about doing so. The storytelling is cliche, presenting an almost brazen paint-by-numbers western about a man out for revenge against the outlaw who killed his parents. He's got a gang, the bad guy's got a gang, they meet in an old-timey town and shoot him up. We've seen it a million times, but because the style is so proudly representing black culture from across the diaspora, all the familiar story elements feel fresh and, in fact, feel as if history is being rewritten and corrected on the spot. And yes, the look of the movie is, at points, an almost identical copy of Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained, but fewer people remember that Tarantino learned a lot of his techniques from black exploitation movies of the 1970s. So big props to first-time feature writer-director Jamez Samuel. Fulfilling the roles of these real-life cowboys is an all-star cast. Rising superstar Jonathan Majors as the white hat against Idris Elba as the black hat. You got Zazie Beetz squaring off against Regina King. <clears throat> That's Oscar winner Regina King to you. You got Lakeith Stanfield, who's way overqualified for a third banana role, as are familiar TV faces, TV faces Damon Wayans Jr., RJ Kyler, and Eddie Gathegi. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right. Westerns have mostly fallen out of favor in modern Hollywood, so if it's been a while since you've last watched one, I definitely recommend this third wave triumph. All right, this week something old came out in 1985 and it's currently playing on HBO Max. It's Witness. Want to see a really good movie that I promise would never get made today? Try this. Ostensibly a spy thriller about a police detective, played by Harrison Ford, protecting a young boy who witnessed a murder he shouldn't have, but in reality spends most of its time, runtime, on Ford's fish-out-of-water lifestyle in the Amish community with which he's hiding. You've got Kelly McGillis as a love interest, a young Vico Mortensen, and Danny Glover playing the same role he plays in every movie. A grizzled and grumpy cop. It's a peak movie star performance for Ford and backed by an Oscar-winning script into a perfect 1980s-era popcorn classic. This week's Something to Stream, I finally rewatched it. It's currently on Hulu, If Beale Street Could Talk. Somehow. The lofty praise from my January 2019 review of this movie, which you can find in the archives at macraig.substack.com. It wasn't nearly complimentary enough upon this rewatch. This isn't just one of the best movies of that year. It's one of the best of the decade, and maybe even this century. 
Every aspect of the movie is masterful, from the production design, to Barry Jenkins' gorgeous direction, to the fantastic acting performances. This was the type of movie, watching experience, that made me happy, because I was just so overwhelmingly impressed by each passing moment. It's a story about young love, a surprise pregnancy, and a wrongful arrest and imprisonment. And it's beautiful, sentimental, romantic, and also hard-hitting when it needs to be. But above all else, the movie produces a level of empathy that I find really powerful. This is just a really special movie. And if you haven't gotten to it yet, you're in for a real treat. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for spreading the word to someone else who you think uh, would enjoy these weekly movie check-ins. Like I said, next week we're going to be talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, which is absolutely one of my favorite movies of the year. Absolutely love it. Also, I'll tell you guys, take you guys behind the curtain of that red carpet premiere and uh, what was going on at the after party afterwards. So you got that to look forward to. Also, I'm going to see Belfast uh, this week, I hope. I'm planning to. And that is currently one of the favorites. It may be the favorite for Best Picture. Uh, so I'm excited about to see that one as well. And, yeah, we got just, I mean, the movies are coming fast and furious at this point. I think uh, Passing on Netflix, I saw the one at Sundance. So uh, maybe if I can remember a little bit more about it uh that will include that one next week i don't know we got tons to talk about as always guys thank you so much for listening thank you for uh yeah just supporting this podcast and uh, my newsletter every single week until next friday i guess i'll see you at the movies